Kent Hughes tells a story of a small boy that was turning the pages of a book of religious art. He's flipping through the pages and looking at all the pictures that talk about Bible stories. And, and he finally came to a picture of the crucifixion. And, and he looked at the crucifixion for a long time. And then finally a, a sad look just came over his face. And he was disturbed. And, and he turned to, to the person that was with him, the leader that was with him. And he said, you know, if, if God had been there, he wouldn't have let them do it. And an interesting take from a small child looking at the crucifixion because he didn't understand it yet and he didn't understand the impact of the the crucifixion. But that's how it can feel when we look at it for the first time. When we look at what happened to Jesus Christ and we've been studying through this in Luke, we can look at this and say, why did God let this happen? If God was there, dot, dot, dot. And this little boy is just expressing what a natural reaction would be. But until we see the reason for the cross, until we see that this was a payment for our sin and the only way that our sin could be atoned for, until we see God's incredible plan, why did He let this happen? Why did He let this happen? And as we sang through worship today, we sang songs about the cross and we sang Christmas songs. And that might have been a little bit disturbing, a little bit disrupting. And that's okay. Because at Christmas time, we're celebrating the beginning of a plan. We're celebrating the beginning of a rescue mission. This month isn't about some incredible baby shower. This month, and some of you are thankful for that, this month is about the, the Lord of the universe humbling himself, being born as a baby, so that he could end up at the cross and that eventually the tomb would be empty. And so we do come with mixed emotions. I can appreciate what this small boy is saying. A baby was born that would grow up to die on the cross. But the cross is only the apparent ending to the manger story. It's the ending we'll talk about today. Next week, Pastor Andrew will talk about the the final ending. But the apparent ending is the cross. And and so we'll unwrap today what that means and, and how that impacts us. And I really believe that Christmas means so much more when we look at the the whole of the story rather than just, oh, yay, a baby. But when we look at the whole of the story and see what God was doing because he loved us and the salvation he bring that we could not earn, that we don't deserve and that we wouldn't have without him, then Christmas means something a whole lot more. And, and the, the impact and the weight of Christmas is there. And so we do want to see the weight of the cross as, as we come to the manger. And, and we glory in the manger because of the weight of the cross. And so we want to experience both of those. One of the songs we sang this morning was Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You guys like that, like that as a Christmas song? I love that Christmas song. Do you realize that, that song incorporates both of these thoughts? Have you thought about it? It's not just a Christmas song. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. Okay, Christmas. God and sinners reconciled. Well, how did that happen? It didn't happen just because a little baby boy was born. More had to happen for God and sinners to be reconciled. But we're singing about the whole plan. We're singing that God had had so much more. In in verse 3, hail the heavenly prince of peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. 
Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. And there again, we see just a little nugget to the importance of the, the story, the mission, the rescue mission that just starts here, but ends almost at the cross. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. And so today, we want to dig into where we are in Luke, and, and we're at the crucifixion in Luke. And it can be hard to study this at Christmas time, but oh, is it important that we bring these concepts together. As I've studied in the last few weeks, and I, I, I've spent time studying the crucifixion and, and everything that's happening there as I'm putting up Christmas lights, man, it has, it has been a burden on me and it weighed on me, but a beautiful, beautiful weight as I see and experience the real impact of Christmas. I pray that that's what happens to us this, this season as we study through this part of Luke, as we see the impact of, of Christmas. The background last, last week as we left Jesus, we actually left him on the cross last week and we studied the first part of the crucifixion and we studied where he looked down at the people that were killing him, that were torturing him and he said, Father, forgive them. And, and we see his, his loving forgiveness. We see the thief on the cross next to him that acknowledged who he was and repented and, and, and in, a, in a simple prayer of faith said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be in paradise with me. And so we see that that on the cross, Jesus is bringing salvation and forgiveness, even as he's the one being crucified and he's the one being tortured. And so we come to Luke chapter 23, verse 44 today, and it's the end of the cross story. And we see Jesus' last words and we see his burial. So turn with me to Luke chapter 23, verse 44. Luke chapter 23, verse 44. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a black hardcover one under a seat right around you. We'd love for you to grab that, take that, follow along. And if you don't have one at home, please take that home as our gift to you so you have God's Word. But Luke 23, starting at verse 44. And we're going to look at six truths about the cross today. And we'll go through them pretty quickly. And some of these, for some of you, are going to be very familiar. And like, I know that. But I want this morning you to to remember it, not just know it, but remember it in light of Christmas and remember it as we celebrate Christmas. Some of you may have never heard some of these things and maybe you don't know why the cross and you don't know why this baby had to end up at the cross and why his heavenly father allowed this to happen and planned for this to happen. And I hope today answers some of those questions as we see why Jesus went to the cross for our sins, and out of love for us. So the first truth from the cross that we're going to see is Jesus took our sin and its deadly consequences on himself on the cross. Jesus took our sin and its deadly consequences on himself on the cross. He bore our sin. Our sin was placed on him and internalized by him. It was poured into him and poured into his soul as he hung on the cross. Verse 44 starts, it was now about the sixth hour. And for us, they, they use different time, time to, terminology. The sixth hour would have been noon. So we're talking high noon, middle of the day. And the, the crucifixion has been going on for about three hours now. And it says now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And the first sign that we see in our text today is that it just went dark 
It was noon, it was bright as day, and it just went dark. Now, some have said, oh, wow, what a convenient time for an eclipse. That was really it. Number one, eclipses don't last three hours. We'll just get that off the table. Number two, it's Passover. And in the Jewish calendar, Passover is always at a full moon. So if you're, if you're a science buff and you know the position of the sun and moon and what it takes for a, a solar eclipse, a solar eclipse can never happen at full moon. The moon's on the wrong side of the earth for that to happen. So this was not an eclipse. This was not just a really cool cloud that came over. This is darkness over the whole land that is a miracle by God. And so God is saying something with these, with these three hours that we have to understand. And, and I give you a clue of that in, our, in the point that this is Jesus bearing our sin. And so we, we, we think about what's happening in this darkness. And darkness symbolized a lot of things. We know that Jesus already told the, the, the leaders that this is your hour. This is the power of darkness. And I think that that's not a coincidence that this then represents evil sort of having its way. But more than that, and this is where we have to understand the Old Testament helps us understand the New Testament. In the Old Testament, darkness was often seen, was usually seen as a sign of God's judgment. And it was seen, it was something that accompanied God's judgment. We see this in Joel, we see this in Amos, we see this in Zephaniah. The judgment of God would be accompanied by darkness. And so when the, when the earth goes dark for three hours, it is this amazing sign to them that God's judgment is coming and it's centered on the cross. And we get a clue of what's happening. We know from the other Gospels that this at the end of the darkness is when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at this moment, all of our sins are placed on him. And somehow, beyond our comprehension, God the Son experiences all of our sin and the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And at some point, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the darkness. That's what the darkness represents. In fact, it's really interesting as Amos talks about darkness and judgment. He says, he's talking about the day of God's judgment on sin. He says, on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And the people there, the Jews there would have known these prophecies. And when it goes dark at noon, as Jesus hung on the cross, they would have immediately thought, this is God's judgment on sin. This is God taking care of sin, dealing with sin. And they may not have understood why, but this was prophesied, and this is what God was doing. Interestingly enough, darkness was also one of the plagues, right? And it was the plague right before the Passover, right before they would kill the lamb to save their firstborn, right before that was darkness, And that's just playing out again, that sequence, as now there's darkness and the Lamb of God will be slain to bring forgiveness of sin. So when it goes dark, this is more than just an ooh and awe moment. This is God showing up on earth and saying, I will deal with sin. See, we know that the the, the result of our sin, the penalty for our sin is death. In Romans 6.23 it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
And so we know that every one of us who have sinned, we deserve to die because sin is always an infinite offense against an infinite creator. It is always rebellious. It is always spitting in the face of God who has made us. And so that deserves righteousness must punish that sin. And God is righteous, but He's also loving. And He's also just. And so at this moment, as darkness covers the face of the earth, that darkness represents our sin being poured onto Jesus and God's punishment of that sin. Jesus was taking the penalty for your sin. He was taking the penalty for my sin. He was dying a death you and I should have died. And if you just picture our sin being poured onto him during that hour, of course it went dark. As he took our sin and then took the penalty for it, so we don't have to if we follow him. In 1 Peter 2.24, there's verses that, that help us understand this. In 1 Peter 2.24, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Think about that. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. This wasn't just, oh, I'm going to die for your sins, but I'm not really experiencing it. It means he had the full experience of our sin in himself. How? I don't know. But he's God. And he did this for us. It says that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him, He being God the Father, made Him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. At the moment that the darkness floods the land, this man who had never sinned, who was fully God and fully man, experienced the sin of every human being. He experienced the sin you have committed and the sins you will commit. And he paid for it on the cross. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. When we read about the darkness of the crucifixion, don't just skip over that and think, what an amazing miracle. That is the heart and soul of what is happening. At that moment, all of our lies, all of our anger, all of our greed, all of our lust, all of our self-centeredness, all of our hurtful words, all of our hate, all of our despicable actions were placed on Jesus. And He felt every one of them. This is weighty. This is not your typical yay, joy to the world Christmas message. But this is the importance of Christmas. Because it's not just that all of our sins were placed on Him, but then God judged that sin at that moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He judged that sin and Jesus paid the penalty for us in our place so that we don't have to. Village, none of us deserves heaven. None of you woke up this morning being such a good person that God said, I would be so lucky to have you in heaven with me. But He loved us so much that Jesus paid the price for our sin that if we follow Him and repent of our sins and give our life to Him, we will be saved. 
and we will not pay that penalty because it's done, it's over, it's nailed to the cross, and it is finished. That's the message of the cross that started at Christmas. And in this moment where darkness is flooding the land, I can just picture Satan cheering. And, and, and he is cheering because he has won. The Messiah is dead or dying. And his minions are rejoicing. But what he didn't realize is salvation has just been bought. The one who thinks he has just won has just lost for all eternity. And things are about to change. This is the good news of the cross, what Jesus did for us. And at that moment when it's dark, all of creation is mourning, mourning that Jesus is taking on our sin and the penalty for that sin. When Jesus was born, there was a light in the sky to announce His coming. When He died, darkness in the sky to announce His purpose. We sang, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. The only way that that is true is if the cross happens and Jesus takes our sin on himself. Now, now here's the thing. We, we can come to that and we can, we can and we should be sorrowful at the sin we've placed on Jesus. That should bother us and disturb us down to our very souls. But at the same time, it should cause us to rejoice in our souls because He has lovingly taken that sin, paid for it, and forgiven us. See, the story doesn't stop with all our sin placed on Jesus. He then takes care of it, deals with it, and makes us clean and makes us sons and daughters of the King if we follow Him. That's the celebration. And really, I think that's the picture that we get next in the second sign in the Luke passage. The first sign was darkness over the face of the earth. The second sign is the curtain of the temple was torn in two. In verse 45, while the sun's light failed, so while it's dark as Jesus takes our sin, and I think at that very moment when Jesus pays for our sin and and the wrath of God and the punishment of God is poured out on him in our place, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now again, for us, we're like, yeah, I've torn curtains at home. My cat has torn curtains at home. And it it wasn't really this big celebration. It was quite the opposite. But we've got to understand what's happening here. And and in point number two, uh, things we learn from the cross, through the cross, Jesus made a way for us to be in relationship with God. He reconciled us to God. See, now that our sins that have been paid for, how do you restore relationship? It's not just about paying for the sins. It's about being in communion with God. Now, the curtain of the temple, we have to understand where that is. The curtain of the temple lies and separates the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the glory of the Lord would come. That separated the Holy Holies from everyone else. No one except the high priest once a year could enter there. If you enter there unexpectedly or on your own, you die. Because this is the presence of God. And up till now, once a year, the high priest would go in and they would make an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the nation. And that atoning sacrifice would pay for their sins temporarily for that year. And and once a year, this would happen. 
And at that moment, when our atoning sacrifice, when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and paid for our sins, that curtain was ripped in two, and the Holy of Holies was made open to everyone. And I get excited about this because what that means is now anyone has access to God. And and anyone can enter God's presence through prayer and, and through forgiveness, through the work of His Son. It also means animal sacrifices are done, which is good. And because the ultimate sacrifice has happened. We don't need another sacrifice because Jesus is enough. Do you realize that? Jesus' sacrifice is enough. And so more doesn't have to be done. The curtain can be torn in two. And it means that we can have relationship with God Almighty. There is access to God. This, now, now, this curtain, this is pretty amazing. This curtain is about 60 feet tall. And it says that the thickness of the curtain was about um, a man's breadth of hand. So I don't know, what is that, eight inches, six inches? Still, if you take material that that's thick, that is hard to tear. But not for God. Not for God as he opens the way for salvation. See, there, we, we don't have to go through a pastor to get to God. We don't have to go through, through a priest to get to God. We don't have to go to confession to have our sins confessed. Jesus opened the door and the pathway for us to go directly to God. Do we take that seriously? Sometimes I ask myself that question. Do we take the privilege of prayer seriously? the privilege of coming into the presence, the very presence of God. Because He longs for us to. He longs for that relationship. What I love about this is it represents reconciliation. It represents relationship. Now we know in human relationships, when there's angry words, when there's hurtful words, and, and finally someone says, hey, I'm, I'm sorry about that, I shouldn't have said that, Things just go back to normal right away, right? No. No. You, you, there's a period of time where you're sort of, okay, is this, this apology genuine? Is this real? And, and how do you get to a new normal? You know, for some of my kids, yeah, it is right away. For one of my kids, not so much. And it may take a few days before I get any words again. Because they just, they, they have to process. And, and, Whereas payment for the sin, the offense has been made, reconciliation has not been made. In a marriage, man, when we say stupid things to our spouse, and we hurt our spouse, and yeah, we all do. And then we come back and we, we, we apologize and we repent of that. Then we have the work of reconciliation. What this step means is that Jesus did the work of reconciliation, guys. He did the work of restored relationship. When Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins, when we come to him and repent, we don't have to worry that God might still be secretly angry with us and giving us the silent treatment, which we are really good at doing as humans. No, it is fully paid. And God says, I love you. You are my sons and daughters. And that relationship is fully restored. And so that is a statement of confidence. The curtain tearing is a statement of assurance that we are reconciled. And we sang this morning, peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. 
But points one and two have to both happen. One has to happen for two to happen. Because a perfect righteous God can't be reconciled with someone who is still living in sin. A sinner. And I know we call ourselves sinners, but by the grace of God, that sin's been paid for and we now are righteous saints. That's why reconciliation can happen. Point number one is Jesus removing the barrier to reconciliation. Point number two is Jesus reconciling. These are amazing things. These are things to praise God for. In 46, we get the next truth about the cross, truth from the cross. Jesus trusted his Father completely, even on the cross. Jesus trusted God the Father. In verse 46, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And this verse is Jesus' final words before his death. His final words. And last words can be so telling. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he's quoting Psalm 31.5 here. And and interestingly enough, it's a psalm that David wrote as he's dealing with enemies and trusting that God will will take him through and take him from his enemies. But this had become uh, something that was popular for kids at bedtime in Judaism at the time. And so they would read this and and a little child going to bed, and and many of you have prayed with your kids at bedtime and walked them through it. and, And one of the things that they would say is, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it represented that even though I go to sleep, God's still got this. God's still in control. And from early days, they're teaching their kids, I love this. I I wish that I had taught my kids to say this every night. Because it's such an innocent trust in God. That even while I sleep, all kinds of things can happen while we sleep. Not to scare you tonight, but all kinds of things can happen. But we can trust God to take care of us. We can trust God to watch us and protect. And this is a statement that a child would say to his dad that then Jesus is saying to his father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I trust you even at death. I trust you to do your work even though this is happening to me. You know, last words are funny things. And I I was just looking at some funny last words. And one of them, I I even forget who said this now. I should have remembered that. But one of them said as as his last words, I hope I find a loophole. There's no loopholes. The only way to life after death is through the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But Jesus' last words weren't about a loophole. They were complete trust in God. They were trust really in two things, in his care, that, that he is going to care for him, that, that he is going to take care of what happens even after he's dead, that this is not the end. And, and, and even the word father there shows his care, but it's also agonizing because really what dad wants his son to go through this? What dad would pour out wrath and pour out judgment on his son? But this was part of God's divine plan to save all, all who come to him, all who repent and come to a savior. And so father 
into your hands I commit my spirit is a, a trust of his care. It's also a trust of his will. And Jesus is sovereignly choosing to follow his will here. In fact, if, if you read the, the whole verse, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he's saying this with a loud voice, something you can't do at this stage of a, of a crucifixion usually. And having said it, he breathed his last. And the idea here is Jesus is still in control. He's still in He's choosing when he's going to die. And he voluntarily gives his life for you and I. And so he's trusting his Father's will that this is the plan. And he's confident in his Father's will. And he, he says it loudly, I think victoriously. Into your hands I commit my spirit because he knows that this has accomplished what it needs to accomplish. Village, you and I aren't hanging on a cross because of Jesus Christ. But we, at times, go through just really difficult times. And we go through dark times. And we wonder what's happening. And whether it's a death of a loved one, and I know several here are dealing with that, or whether it's a sickness that just won't go away, or, or whether it's a terminal sickness, or all kinds of other things that happen. You can say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because your Heavenly Father, you can trust His care, and you can trust His will, even if you don't see it. Take confidence in this statement that you have a father that you can trust. And at that moment, Jesus died. He breathed his last. And so then we get to some of the results, some of the people that were watching this. And number four on the other side of your notes, Jesus was truly innocent and righteous even though he was crucified with criminals. He was truly innocent and righteous. He was sinless. And and in 47, this is a theme of Luke that we've been seeing over the last three weeks. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, now now understand this, the centurion wasn't just a Roman foot soldier. A centurion, think of century, would have had at least 100 soldiers underneath him. This was probably the guy running the crucifixion and the, the guy in charge of killing Jesus. And he's watching all this. And he sees it all and he hears the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He hears the words to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. He sees the darkness and we know there was, there were earthquakes and, and he, he takes all this in and his conclusion is he praised God. Isn't that incredible? This Roman centurion, person of, of power, When he saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. This is the fifth proclamation of Jesus' innocence in the, in the last, in the chapter. And it wasn't the Jewish leaders that proclaimed it. It was Pilate. It was Herod. It was the thief on the cross. It was the centurion. Everyone else saw it except the people that should have seen it. And he was truly righteous. The verse we read out of 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And two weeks ago we talked about how important that was because if Jesus was a sinner, he's paying for his own sin and we got nothing. But because he's sinless, he, and because he's God, he was able to infinitely take on all of our sin and pay that pr- payment a payment he did not deserve, but he paid for us. 
And so we know one of the truths of the cross is that Jesus was innocent. He didn't deserve it, but he did it because he loved us. Fifth truth of the cross, which comes out of this and the, the couple verses that follow as we look at the people around, the cross impacted those who encountered it. The cross impacts people. Everyone that encountered the cross and the truth of the cross had to make a decision. Is this real? Is this not? Do I believe that that Jesus was who he said he was? Or do I believe he's some fool and criminal that just got killed? And the same is true today as we're going to see this. We are impacted by the cross and we have a choice to make. You can't sit here today and say, I don't know about Jesus. You've got to do something in your mind with the cross. And either he's a fool or he's the Savior. Verse 47 through 49, we see some of the people that were impacted. The verse we just read. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. In some of the other Gospels, we, we, we see him say, this man was the Son of God. And we don't know if he became a believer. I think he probably did. But he definitely was impacted. He definitely is on the road. His thinking has changed from the beginning of the crucifixion. Because you can't see what Jesus did for us and not make a decision. And the centurion praised God. He brought worship to God and proclaimed that Jesus was the innocent Son of God. This is amazing. I think about this. Jesus' life began with unlikely people praising him, right? Shepherds. The, the sort of the scum of society. Angels come, they worship, and they come and worship. And then the magi from another, another um, country come. Gentiles come and worship God. And his life ends with unlikely people worshiping God. A centurion that says, this is the Son of God. See, everyone who comes in contact with the cross can be changed. You are impacted. It depends on whether you choose to accept it or not. And we see the death of a righteous one for the unrighteous. Then we go to 48 and the crowds that are around. The crowds, and, and again, crucifixions were spectacles. So everyone came out to see what the Roma, who the Romans were killing this time. And people would come out of the city gates and there were people all over that were watching this. Many of the same people who had just said, crucify him, crucify him. Give us the murderer Barabbas instead of Jesus and let's kill off Jesus. And look at their impact of the cross in 48. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And so the crowds watched all this. And the idea of beating their breasts is they are, they are repentant and sorrowful. Now, I'm not saying they're repentant to the point of salvation. It's more, what have we done? We just made the biggest mistake of our lives because that man did not deserve to die. That's the tone that they leave in. It's like sometimes, sometimes in our home, someone will say something and we'll look at them and say, what did you just say? Moms, dads, I know you've, done, you know you've been there. Your kids aren't any better than mine. <laughs> They're sinners and need the cross just like mine do. What did you just say? The, the scariest thing if this Susie looks at me and says, what did you just say? Like, the cross, reconciliation, we can do this. <laughs> That's how the people left. What did we just do? Because the cross 
impacts those that observe it, those that encounter it. Now, some of those didn't decide to follow Christ. I think some might have, but they were impacted. 49, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. And we don't know why they're at a distance, probably for some safety. Probably you just watch. It's so sorrowful that I don't know that I, if I love Jesus, I wouldn't want to be right under the cross. I'd be watching from a distance. And with these people, we see their response is faithfulness. Faithfulness. They're still with them. And they're watching the crucifixion. And we're going to find out that these ladies here participate in the burial as well. And these are probably the same ladies from Luke 8. And it's probably Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and Mary, the mother of James. They're mentioned earlier. They're also mentioned in the very next chapter. These ladies are an incredible example of faithfulness. The impact Jesus and the cross had on them was to be faithful followers. And we can follow their example because they, they hadn't run away and they were still there. They didn't understand it all yet. They didn't understand the resurrection yet, but that's coming. That's coming. And some of these ladies are going to be the first ones to see that. What a great picture of faithfulness. And so these women were impacted in their hearts to follow Christ. We sang this morning, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth, and to be raised in second birth, those are impacts of the crucifixion, impacts of Jesus' death. Things that we follow Him and we see the results of. And then we get to the last point, the last seven verses of the text, of the chapter. And, and this, some of you are going to say, this is, your, this is the most obvious point of the day, Pastor Ron. But let me explain. Jesus really died on the cross and was buried. Okay? Jesus really died on the cross and was buried. This is setting up next week a little bit. Setting up the resurrection. See, one of the, the arguments against the resurrection, a major argument against the resurrection, was Jesus didn't really die. It was the cross. Oh, yeah, it was probably a little difficult. Oh, boo hoo. What was him? But he didn't die. And three days later, he just got up and he had rested, took a little nap, and he's fine. Village, Jesus really died. Actually, there's no payment for sins unless he died because the wages of sin is death. He really died and was buried. And there are a whole bunch of things in this section that are, are showing that and setting up next week's text to say, yeah, he died and people knew where he died. The Romans were really good at killing people. They didn't accidentally let someone live. Their whole system made sure there was no one that lived and no one that can defy their authority. And so we read in 50... And again, more examples of righteous men and faithfulness and despair and and darkness. But verse 50, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, and, and who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. And the setup here is there's this man who was probably a Sadducee from his wealth. He was part of the Sanhedrin, but he didn't agree to crucify Jesus. So either he wasn't there or he was a dissenting vote. Probably they just didn't include him in the vote because they're just including people they know how they'll vote. But look at some of the wording about him. 
He was a good and righteous man. And those were phrases they used of someone trying to follow God. He was looking for the kingdom of God at the end of verse 51. Very similar wording to Simeon and Anna at the birth of Christ. In both of them, when, Jesus, they, when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple, Simeon and Anna said they were described as people looking for the kingdom of God. Some of the other authors describe Joseph as a disciple of Jesus. He's a believer. He's a believer, and at this point, he is going to take a, a really risky, bold move to show his faithfulness to Jesus. In verse 52, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. This man took Jesus off the cross and then wrapped him up because you, you don't bury someone. It's dishonorable to bury him in the state of clothing or lack of clothing that they crucified him. You don't bury naked bodies. And so he wraps him up and he puts him in a tomb in a, a tomb that's been carved out of stone that he owns that was probably for him, but no one's ever been laid in. An example of a tomb, if we can put that picture up. This isn't the tomb of Jesus. We don't know exactly where the tomb of Jesus is, but this is an example in a cave and they'd carve out these niches and they would lay the body there. And this had to happen just really quickly. This had to happen before the Sabbath, which was coming just a few hours away. And so we know Nicodemus is with them as well, and he brings some spices, and they get just what they can. They didn't embalm bodies, and so they would decay and stink pretty, pretty quickly, so you added a lot of spices to cover that up. For whatever reason, Pilate says yes, and he allows him to do it, probably his status, his rank. And Joseph here is saving Jesus from the typical Roman burial after crucifixion. They just throw him in a common pit. That's where all the criminals are. But that's dishonoring. And so we read on. It was the day of preparation. Because this is Friday. Sabbath comes at sundown on Friday night. And the Sabbath was beginning. Catch the women again. The faithful women. These wonderful examples. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And so they were followers in Galilee. They came to Jerusalem. They saw all this happen. They saw the crucifixion. And now they're following to, to see where the tomb is. Now, again, that's a key point for next week's text on the resurrection. They knew where he was buried. This wasn't the wrong tomb that they went to. And so they, they find their point is there's not enough time to do a proper burial before the Sabbath. So we're going to find out where the tomb is And we're going to prepare some spices. And on Sunday after the Sabbath, we're going to come and we're going to give Jesus a proper burial. Does that sound like people that thought he was still alive? No, they think he's dead. They know he's dead because he is dead. But they are going to honor him and honor Christ. And so they prepare spices, it says. They returned home. They returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. And they'll come back Sunday. And where we leave the story is the tomb is quiet. And Jesus is dead. And he's laying there. He's paid the penalty for our sins so we could have salvation. But the tomb won't be quiet for long. 
the story still isn't over. We started by saying Christmas is more than just a fun celebration of a baby. It's more than a baby shower. No, it's the start of the rescue mission that culminates at the cross where Jesus takes your sin and my sin on himself. And if we believe in him and repent of our sins, that payment is applied to us and we will have salvation and eternal life forever. But we have to decide to follow Christ. We have to. And if you're in this room and you've never done that, today's the day to be impacted by the cross and make that decision. Because Christmas time is the best time to make that decision. Well, any time is. But Christmas time is just amazing to make a decision to follow Christ. Do you believe you're a sinner? Do you believe the penalty for that sin is death? Do you believe Jesus as God's son died on the cross in your place to pay that penalty? And will you follow him with your life? That's salvation. If you've never done that, take those steps today and follow our Lord and Savior. And it will be the most incredible Christmas you've ever had. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. For salvation, for forgiveness, for reconciliation, for relationship, for care, for trust. Lord, thank you. We celebrate your birth by celebrating your purpose. In your name.